0: Today's episode of Into the Van is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you can always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot co. And be sure to add our podcast Into the Van in How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Rogue Radio. Now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by Rogue Radio. Rogue Radio is the new show that is my favorite radio show. It plays the best modern artists across the UK, Europe, Australia and the UK and you know the UK and the other scenes, especially for country and roots that isn't mainstream, isn't necessarily so poppy. We aren't represented in any way, shape or form. And I include myself as an artist in that. Rogue Radio is trying to change that one episode at a time. And I really enjoy what Alex and Bob have made with this fun. You know, I'm really big a big fan of the Two Bears 1K podcast. And this is really reminiscent of that where it's two friends just shooting the shit, talking about really good music. And I think you're going to love it. So go over to Mixcloud.com forward slash Rogue Country and check out Rogue Radio there. I know they're going to be bringing out some new shows soon and Into the Van is going to be on their Mixcloud as well as part of their new initiative to, you know, create a platform and an entertainment center for everyone who's interested in this type of music. I'm super happy to be partnering with them to drop every single back episode of Into the Van onto their Mixcloud. So if you haven't heard it on whatever platform you'd like to do, you can head over to Mixcloud, listen to Into the Van, and also listen to Rogue Radio so you've got just hours of entertainment there. I absolutely love this show, and I'm super proud to be working with them. And as always, today's episode is brought to you by my debut album, The Next Life. I'm super fucking proud of this record, and you know if you haven't given it a chance, please do i've put everything into this for my debut record it's nine tracks that i think are completely solid and stand up next to each other and i'm just so amazed by the reception of it so far and i really hope you go check out if you have already checked it out thank you so much i'm going to drop a track here like I've done, say a father to son, and let this world leave you cold. Do what you can, and love what you do, for it's a long and lonely road, it's a long and lonely road, it's a long And it's had some really great reviews I'm super proud of. And I just can't believe that even one person would buy this record. As a musician, just having that support has been absolutely humbling. And I can't thank everyone who's supported me so far enough. But if you'd like to go listen to it, it is on Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, wherever you stream music or wherever you buy music, it is 100% there. So please go check out The Next Life. Today's guest I am so excited to announce. Today's guest is Danny Vaughan. And I've been a fan of Danny Vaughn since I was, like, 15. Which, you know, he has an age today. He looks amazing. He sounds amazing. He plays amazing. His new record, Myths, Legends, and Lies, is fucking phenomenal. And I can't believe that Danny was gracious enough to accept my invitation to come on into the van and chat. And chat he did. We go in, like, nearly an hour and 20 onto this episode. And it is so good and so interesting to hear someone who's had such an amazing story career like Danny has. And, you know, the first time I saw Danny Vaughan was he was opening for Journey in Manchester Apollo. And that was absolutely insane. And then I've been able to see him at Download. I've seen him on his own a few times. I've seen him with Dan Reed Network and his like solo project, Snake Oil and Harmony. And it's just he's always just this flawless musician and entertainer and storyteller. And it is obvious when you listen to Danny Vaughan that he is all of those things and more. So this is an absolutely fantastic chat. And I'm so happy that I got to have this. When I started this podcast, I didn't know who I'd be able to get. I knew I'd be able to get my friends. I knew I'd be able to get people I kind of toured with or people I kind of knew. But these cold calls that I've been doing and just emails with people on my wish list, you know, I've had beans on toast, which was an amazing, amazing thing to happen. And today to have Danny Vaughan, who I'm a huge fucking fan of, and I've been a fan of for nearly 15 years now, was just absolutely mind-blowing. And to get to do this chat was, you know, an absolute amazing bucket list goal for this podcast. So go listen now. We have an absolutely fantastic talk, and I want you to dive straight into it. So without further ado, this is episode 16 of Into the Van with Danny Vaughn. Welcome to Into the Van with me, Mike West. Now, thanks so much for joining us. And just as you were saying, you've lived in Spain 11 years now, is it?
1: Yeah, it is. Yep.
0: And what was the reason like behind the move? Was it like a practical or, you know, emotional or what was the...
1: Amor, my friend, amor. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I was actually, when I left America, which was... Now, 15 years ago, um, I moved to Ireland first because Mm. I had some some good friends there uh, who kind of just said, hey, you know what? We'll we'll get you set up and get you started and, you know, introduce you to people and get around. Because there really wasn't much for me career-wise in America anymore. Mm. You know, it was very few and far between. Whereas in Europe, I was able to tour reasonably regularly, particularly the U.K., But at my level, it wasn't cost effective to keep flying over all Mm. the time. So, and of course, 15 years ago, we relatively new with Ryanair and the cheap airlines. So it was like the perfect time, Mm. you know? Um, And then when Melissa and I kind of met and started started courting as it were, um, (laughs) when we finally actually met in person, she had moved to Gibraltar and like everybody else, I'd certainly heard of Gibraltar, but actually didn't know where it was. Mm. on a map at all. <laughs> I had to go look for it. Like, Oh, all the way down there. Look at that. <laughs> um, and so started flying from Ireland to Spain for visits and looking around and going, wait a minute, this could work. You know, because I lived in Ireland for four years and I was really starting to wonder where they were keeping <laughs> the sun. <laughs> it, it wasn't in the south of Ireland. I can tell you that. So it all just kind of fell into place kind of haphazardly.
0: Mm. Oh, amazing. And I was going to say, because you have such like a dedicated UK fan base, when you said you were in Spain and when I realized you were, I was like, that makes so much sense is how you tour regularly and things. And, you know, you tour really well with like a lot of dates. So it was really interesting to see that like cross from Spain. But like, I've only been to Gibraltar once. I have a friend who lives just on the border in Línea and we mm-hmm. did the stupid thing of... Do you know the Mediterranean Steps on the Rock of Gibraltar? Sure do. We did that at midday. Like, peak heat. With, oh, nice. With oh, one flask water. of... Well, one flask of water between six of us. And, like, right. one yeah. of my friends had, like, a can of Coke. So one of them nearly died halfway up the steps. And that was a fucking ordeal. And all to, Oh, yeah. To go, well, so. you don't
1: want to die there because the monkeys <laughs> will just be it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um, with obviously the uk touring and things so you were in ireland first did that kind of influence your songwriting and things because i know myths legends and lies to me has a more celtic like traditional folk influence to it
1: yeah that i mean that's intentional too
0: i mean but i don't think that's
1: actually because i lived in ireland that's always been there Mm. um uh you know the music that i was brought up around the stuff that my mom and my dad listened to was so all over the map
2: Mm.
1: you know I mean my I was lucky enough my parents one of their first dates was Bill Haley and the Comets live (laughs) you know (laughs) so that's that's where that starts and you know my mother was was really into Nat King Cole and Harry Belafonte and jazz and then as a kid before there was a term for it we had all these albums that, that were world music. You mm. know, I was, I was just listening to one today. It's a this wonderful singer named Miriam Makeba from uh, mm. Africa. And she was kind of known as the queen of Africa because she was able to transcend all the various countries. And even, you know, globally, she was, mm. she was world famous at what she did. Fantastic singer. So we had this stuff running around the house. And one of them was the Clancy Brothers, which was a, a big Irish traditional group. Um, so i knew a lot of the the trad songs from when i was very very mm. little which is quite funny when you've got a four or five year old singing about you know a jar of whiskey and you know <laughs> a, a pretty wench on my knee and things like that <laughs> so that's always been there my my i was not uh, a rock and roll kid to start with i was more like folk the mm. stuff i was was Simon and Garfunkel and Crosby, Stills and Nash and and Joan Baez and Bob Dylan and that's why I remember earliest on that was in my house and Beatles of course and mm. then started making my own choices a little bit later on. So mm. I just find I'd say ninety nine point nine percent of all music fascinates and interests me mm. and I'll hear something and I'll think how can I take a bit of that, Mm. bring it into what I do, you know? um, And, you know, sometimes you don't succeed, but uh, with the Irish thing, it feels very, very natural to me as uh, my mother's side of the family is, is where the Vaughn name comes from Mm. and, you know, family over there and everything like that. So, uh, but the, obviously the opening track of myths is, is um, the shadow of King John, which is all about Limerick, which is the city I lived in. Mm. you know and and the basic you know economic crisis that they had there after uh dell computers left and all that sort of thing um and just my love for the place and for the people
0: Mm. no that's such an interesting and it's amazing how it shines through but just touching on what you were saying about world music i was kind of thinking this the other day because i don't know if you've seen the disney film coco and the one it's like this uh, kid uh, from mexico and it's like a mariachi themed
1: Oh, no, i haven't seen
0: that one yet yeah. Is it good it's really good and like there's all this kind of like old like 50s style mariachi music in it and i had you know no knowledge of really mariachi music everyone knows the kind of stereotype like that type of thing but <laughs> i have no it's those three
1: trumpets man it's yeah. just fantastic i love yeah. i love mariachi by the way
0: So I want to try and do a deep dive on that type of things, because the music they were playing was, you know, I'm a huge, obviously, country music fan. And that's just Mexican country music with such a rich, like, tradition and, like, artists and things. So I wanted to try and get into it. And it's always been that thing of, you know, if you went into HMV or whatever, world music covered everything from mariachis to Colombian panpipes to aboriginal and it's never had kind of the separation that it deserves in like western stores and things so to do a deep dive on that type of music or different types of music's been so hard and it's such a shame that it's just lumped as world music
1: yeah yeah i mean that just it covers way too much ground you know you're talking about you know tibetan llama chants and mm. you know it can be so much of anything one of the things that i remember growing up with a kid that as a kid that really and still affects me like I have a a huge love of of gospel I I tend to gravitate funnily enough towards any form of music that has human voices meshing together Mm. whether unison or harmony and it always fascinated me that the a lot of traditional African music form the same harmony structures as our classical music Thirds, fifths, sevenths, ninths, they had all that and they, they you know, just they didn't write it down, but they mm. created it the same way. Whereas, for instance, East Indian music has all those notes in between it mm. all, you know, which I can't even fathom. It's too complicated. Um, but yeah, so we had an album that was um, basically African choirs having adopted some of the traditional church choir stuff and mm. making it making it very, very African and ethnic sounding. And I liked it so much better than the originals, because the originals, there was always so much, you know, how serious it all had to be. There was so much circumstance mm. and pomp around it. And with the African versions, there was a bit more fun. There was dance involved and things like that. So, yeah, all that stuff. You know, you come to Spain and you find out that that, you know, this is the motherland for mariachi as mm. well. Those horn structures, the instruments from Mexico are different, but it started here.
0: Mm. You no, know, it's so it's so interesting. I always kind of get bummed out in the same way whenever I go into a library. I have a bit of an existential crisis because I always <laughs> kind of think that you know there might be a book in that entire building that would sum up my viewpoint or connect with me so deeply, but to find I'd have to rifle through like millions upon millions of books. And it's the same thing with music. Where it's like, what if? through this categorization of world music or just this mislabeling of a genre or something that I'd never find this incredible music that would just connect with me on a, another level. So I always try and just scratch the surface of anything that's kind of put in front of me of any genre because mm-hmm. I'd never want to miss out on an opportunity.
1: Yeah, it is. With this, with the current state of our technology and the internet and everything, it is mind boggling where you think there's, I know there's great music being made out there. Mm. You know, music. That, and every now and then, you know, for me, it was there are certain moments, you know, because being older, I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm, I've reached that point in my life where I can sit back and say, ah, they don't make good music like niggers do. know, Of course they do. Um, but it's harder to find, I think. And so when I had moments like the first Temperance Movement album came out, mm. I was just like, yes this is this is what i want this is what i love rival sons was another one I it was, it's you know all in with that with with what they were doing i don't like every single song they do but i love everything that they do because of mm. how they approach it they're you know and that singer is just both singers in both those mm. bands are, are just some of the best i've heard so but it is harder to find because you know everybody and their brother can make a, a reasonable sounding demo now at home and put it up on youtube for you to find and mm. so yeah sometimes i get that feeling i was like god am i missing something great you know uh, and there there's some of these great i don't want to call them parody bands but um you know it started with like Hacey dixie yeah but have you heard of have you heard of Stephen seagull
0: yes I've heard oh of those man guys. those guys are so good you know just like i can't take it there's too many of them yeah that's been the interesting thing like i help run um, am like a rogue country page on facebook so we've been like trying to find modern like country and like roots artists and it's just kind of almost overwhelming how much talent you can find in you know just anywhere And it'll just be a three minute shaky phone video but you're like holy fuck how is that guy not huge and you find all these incredible artists and it's just the wealth, again, it's the wealth of talent, but there's also so much that you have to kind of sift through.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I suppose that's always been, you know, I lived in Nashville for, for about five years. Mm. And, you know, it was, it was definitely a, a feast or famine situation because, I don't know, have you ever been? by the no. way? No, no. They're, you know, all lined up along the famous row area and Broadway. And by the way, Nashville is a small city. Mm. for for a city that's that famous you can drive 20 minutes from the center of town and be total in the country oh like, really you know deliverance country you know um so you know it's 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 the most one of the most famous cities in the world but it's actually not that big and mm. so the the famous tourist area the broadway the the rose the way they have it set up is the um if you're looking, the 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 stages are, so the venues are narrow, most of them, not all, but the general ones, Tootsie's and um not Exit. Um, uh, there's a few others that's going out of my head right now, but anyway, they're reasonably narrow, kind of alleyway type venues, mm. and the band is in the window, facing inwards. So you're looking at you know you're looking at the back, and guys are <laughs> playing like this, and you're seeing that. <laughs> And the audience is 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 that way. Um you will never know what you're gonna see in those places. Mm. And the average percentage is gonna be like, meh, you know, because um, it's it's the classic kids off the bus, you know, coming from somewhere else, mm. like and play three or four chords and you know, they can yodel, so they, they think they're gonna be stars. Um but you will get something occasionally, and just go. Mm. What was that? I I was at a friend's gig one time, and he's this this wild and crazy dude, who uh, is a um, he's a cowboy poet, is what he calls himself, <laughs> and he does all this. His, his hair is like almost down to his ankles, and he's got the big hat. I he go, let me tell you a story there, you know. And he'll just do this <laughs> whole cowboy poetry thing. I love Woody. So I would go, but he'd also sing with his with his beautiful wife, and I would join them occasionally, like joining some harmonies. So we'd I'd gone down and uh saw his gig, and then before he left, he says, "Y'all want to hang around? Cause, you know, Jimmy, Joe, Bob, whatever is is coming up, and he's gonna play us some guitar, and it'll be good. You'll want to see that." And so we're off at the bar and we're chatting. I didn't really take any notice that there's an older fella. Looked a lot like Charlie Daniels, mm. you know, but real big belly, you know, mm. with the with the with plaid shirt, cowboy hat mm. all the way down, beard all the way down, less Paul way out here on his gut. So I didn't really take much notice, you know. And then he started playing, and I just stopped. You know, a lot of people were still yapping. I was like, "Are you kidding me? I had never heard anybody chicken pick like this." Mm. It was glorious, and I turned to Woody. I said, "Who the hell is that?" And he said, "Oh, that's that's Merle's guitarist. No, Been with fuck. him for like five <laughs> years. Every now and then, he likes to come down and just play his own thing." So that's what Nashville does give you the chance to. Yeah, you just never know where or when. You know. Yeah, that
0: that's the insane thing I've always heard about Nashville, where it is. You know, it's all those kind of acts just vying for, but then every now and then you do find like the Margo Price of, you know in one of those bars and things and i think that's really interesting and exciting prospect for i think that's probably yeah. one of the big feels like appeals of nashville
1: whenever anybody friends of mine go there i always tell them if, if they're very musically inclined that there's a there's a place called the stations inn and mm. it's not in the tourist area uh you generally want to take a taxi to where it is because you just think you're going to a row of it looks like an industrial park just body mm. shopping, shit like that and it's just a, a breeze block building. There's nothing that really marks it, but a little sign. It's where all the bluegrass players go to play. Ah. Now you can be crap and play country music. You cannot be crap and play bluegrass. It's no. not, you know, the, the level is just, and man, I've seen some people in there, none of whom you've ever heard of, you know? And it's like, I saw a guy take a solo on the spoons that blew me away, you know? It's like, <laughs> so it's, it's worth the trip because you just mm. never know what you're gonna get down yeah. there.
0: Oh, definitely I'd love to uh, make the trip it's definitely on my uh, to-do list but I wanted to go into obviously you've been a musician for over is it 35 years now
1: yeah right so <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what was really the start in that and then the transition into being like a full-time musician when you realized you could you know take it to that level um
1: well let's see I think pretty early on you know, after you're fleeing with your your high school mates and their bands and things like that,
3: mm.
1: you start to realize that people keep coming to you saying, "Hey, come sing with my band!" Like well, maybe I got something here after mm. all. It, it was never a plan, that's for sure. I always mm. just went went wherever I was pushed. Um, but there, in the in the very early nineteen eighties, the the New York New Jersey um, bar circuit was enormous mm. for cover bands. Cover bands were making thousands on a, on a night. You know, cover bands at that at those days had light shows that rivaled arena bands. It was crazy. <laughs> um and so it was it was a worthwhile gig to get into. So after a few like false starts and stops with different groups, I was involved with a band called Allied Forces that played all over that area. And it, you know, the craziness of youth. We, we'd have vertical Tuesdays on Long Island at exit 62. That's um, from Rockland County where we live. That's almost a four-hour drive. We'd mm. drive the whole drive, get down there, set up, play three sets of Iron Maiden, and when well, we played everything. We, you know, that was the other reason why these bands were so good, because of who you had to copy. Mm,
2: you, know, yeah. you,
1: you, had to, you had to copy Michael Schenker, you had to copy Iron Maiden, you had to copy Journey. You had to copy Lover Boy. You had, you know, it was just all over the shop, um, and so you know, you you really cut your chops really well on that, and and that's when I started to feel professional, mm. you know, at what I was doing. And you were, you know, I had jobs, I had day jobs in and out of that at various times, but when times were good, I didn't need them.
0: Mm. And was that you always primarily as the vocalist? I mean, did you play guitar as well during that time, or were you, like, focused solely on vocals?
1: No, I, uh, you know, it's it's kind of what was my trademark in Taiketa was also my trademark in the cover bands, was that I had a 12-string acoustic. Mm. It's just a lot of people. I fell in love with that when I was a young kid. I just, it was a sound. Somebody, I Mm. heard someone play it. It's like, what's that, you know? How do you get that many strings on a guitar? What is that? (laughs) Um, And it just... That was it, had to have one. And the story behind my first 12-string is a long and involved one, which I'm saving for a book. (laughs) Oh, cool. (laughs) Um,
0: But uh, uh,
1: so in Allied Forces, that would come out. And so we do something like Magic Power by Triumph, and that's got that whole acoustic 12-string beginning. We play that. you know. So that was kind of always my little sort of what made me different Mm. from, from the rest of the guys.
0: Oh, cool. And going from those, and obviously like how did you see performing in those cover bands and you know wrapping your head around you know iron maiden material and stuff as to you know forming your own songwriting voice through like takeiketo and things like that
1: you know i I didn't do a whole lot of songwriting in those early days. Um, one of the first bands I was in, there was a guy who was just a really we thought, you know, it was a much better songwriter than the rest of us. So we just left them to mm. it. You know, there was, there was no ego, no challenge about it. In Allied Forces, we all started to trying to write stuff, some of it marginally successful, just as far as the songs themselves. They were pretty decent. Um, but it was when, you know, suddenly getting the, the, the drop in the bucket, the, the call to, to join wasted. Mm. and you know oh, okay you're in you know you've you've done what you had to do you're in the band now we've got to write an album <laughs> Ooh, okay <laughs> you know so it was pretty much trial by fire mm. you know? and it was it was definitely not an easy process writing with them so i think that i think that taught me a lot i think it taught me how to be critical mm. because there was lyrically none of the other guys in the band wrote lyrics at all so that was kind of my main purview mm. um and so I just wrote, and because it's the guys in your band, nobody's saying anything. And there was some point where a couple of the guys sat me down and said, listen, some of these lyrics, you really got to work a bit more into this. Mm. You know, we're not liking this. And and it was a, when you're the guy who you just all, all your life up to that point, you've been the guy that everybody oh, you're so great, man. <laughs> you're so good at what you do. And then you move up a level,
3: mm.
1: you know, and suddenly you're, you're not the top talent in the room or, you know, maybe not even close. And it's like, wow. Okay. That's a bit of a blow, but that's what teaches. I mean, that's the first lesson I had about sort of critical thinking about my own writing.
0: Oh, interesting. I think that's such a helpful tool because obviously you have that, when you write a song, you get to play it live. You have that audience feedback from it, but to have, you know, your peers in the band actually come back and say, well, actually, you know, what about this, you know, work on this? Like, have you thought about that line? Was that, has that really stuck with you from then as a songwriter?
1: Absolutely. Uh, And some of the, I haven't done a lot of collaborating over the years. I I certainly would like to do more, but it it does hold true where if you've got, if you're collaborating with someone that cares enough, Mm. like for instance, you know, I just did an entire album with Dan Reed and, we'll have conversations about each other's lyrics. I mean, generally, there's not a lot of, we don't get involved in each other's stuff so much, Mm. but if there's something that's sticking out, something that's maybe rubbing somebody the wrong way, you know, you get into these conversations about, um, you know, okay, what's, what's okay. Where are we going with this?
3: Mm.
1: You know, what, what is, the person who's speaking, what, what are they, what's their motivation? Who are they? Mm. You know, are are they religious? You know, does that matter? You know, with what we're saying, da, 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 that sort of thing. Um, and I got that, funnily enough, working on more on Taiketto's second album. Mm. Um, and I th- I'm trying to remember. I may have this story wrong. Hang on, let me think about this. This goes back a ways. No, actually, it was it was the first album. I was working on "Don't Come Easy," and we were in A and M Studios, which is daunting to say the least Mm. um you know i mean quite literally bumping into bruce springsteen and phil collins in the hallway and you know bon jovi's making blaze of glory with jeff Beck in the next room and all that and you're just the new kids just written a bunch (laughs) of songs um and i remember being like i'm looking at i was looking at a set of lyrics with with richie zito and i'm I'm like really pulling it apart And, and it's little things, even like little, you know, three letter words. Like, is mm. it an and is is it a the is it a but is it and I looked at Richie, I said, I'm really sorry. I, I, I said I probably know that I shouldn't care so much. And he's like, oh, no, wait a minute. He goes, let me tell you a story. <laughs> and apparently at another time in his life, he was he was in one of the studios in LA, um, and the Eagles were recording. Mm. And he said, and I just happened he said it might have even been at A and M, I don't know. But he said they were around the corner in one of the they left the actual recording room and it was it was Glenn and Don and they were sitting on a couch and he said they were doing exactly this. It was they were saying, Is it an and? Is it I don't know if I want to say and there because that implies this and the mm. character seems to be saying da 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 so it was really to know that the songwriters of that caliber. Mm you know, worked in that way was a big deal. And and writing to me is, um, is kind of just creativity is a bit of a passion of mine. Mm. Um, And I have over the years collected a number of of stories from different places I've seen on YouTube and things like that from songwriters that I think are genius and brilliant, Mm. like Henley. Um, And when you find that, there are actually a fair few similarities between yourself and these great people and, <laughs> and how they write. Um, I've got, I've got a book of, of random thoughts, basically. <laughs> Maybe it'll be a catchphrase. it will be oh, that will be a good title, whatever that is, write it. And just write it. Don't try to write the song, just get mm. the, the idea out. And then what will happen is when a, at some point or another, where I start to try and stitch together a song, I get this book out and I'll look and I'll look. And what's interesting is a line from six months ago works with a line from last week over mm. here, works with a line from you know a month ago. And you'll be like, oh, wait a minute. This could all be one song. Henley has what he calls the shoebox.
4: Mm.
1: I saw this interview, wonderful interview, if you can find it on YouTube. is Billy Joel interviewing Don Henley about songwriting. <laughs> so that there's your masterclass right there. Yeah. And, and Henley said, yeah, he says, with me, it's a shoebox. He says, I'll get an idea, and it just come out of nowhere. And he says I won't try to flesh it out. I'll write down the line. I'll tear off the piece of paper, and I'll stick it in the shoebox. And he said, at some point, I get the shoebox out. And I, I start arranging all these pieces of paper and going, oh, hey, that works with that. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this, <laughs> and it's blowing my mind. I'm like, this is great. Mm. Uh, there, are, there are these wonderful books. Books, songwriters on songwriting. Mm. Uh, uh, the gentleman's name is Zolo, the guy who who writes them. And he, what it is, is he interviews. He's interviewed everybody <laughs> for you know all the greats for for Songwriting Magazine. Really, and so yeah, the focus is really on the craft. And so the books are compilations of interviews with anybody from Paul Simon to Sammy Kahn to leonard cohen to dylan you know it just goes Mm. on and on and on and they're fascinating reads both for the similarities and the differences
0: i'll try and track them down i know i really love um stephen king's book on writing yes it's too. yeah it's not obviously songwriting but his creative process and even though it's part autobiography it's such a great insight into how a mind works and i think once you know how one person's viewpoint has even if you can just glean one thing away from it it's such an a revelation to you and that's why i really enjoy doing this podcast and sitting down with songwriters to discuss it because even for like selfishly like for myself i'll be able to take something away and be able to put that into you know my next song or my next thought process
1: right now it's so funny you mentioned that book i have it in my cabinet upstairs and i don't quite yet have the goal of, of writing a book, but my wife kind of nudges me from time <laughs> to time because she's like, listen, some of these stories, you know, write them down. So I'm kind of starting to formulate an idea of how I'd like to do it because I, I, I do read dozens and dozens of, you know, music biographies. Mm-hmm. I, I can't get enough of them, but you know, there's always the inevitable, however it starts, it, 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 we have to sort of, to me, you kind of get dredged through their childhood. Mm. and i generally find i'm not that interested in their childhood <laughs> you know i'm interested in their careers mm. um I, i'm desperate to read elton's new one it's supposed oh. to be phenomenal
0: Oh really i've got um, dolly parton's biography sitting on my bedstand. Oh, i'm, moment I'm moment. only i'm only a few chapters into that but i remember when i was a kid i probably read it too early but i read gene Simmons' like autobiography and i must yeah. have read that when i was about 10 or like 10 to 12 and that obviously his childhood such an, a complex and interesting backstory but what i loved about it was how you know kiss got started in their marketing and like just the mentality behind them was such an interesting thing And i think yeah. that over genes like pomposity or you know ego i think that was one of the main things i always took from that was like his autobiography really stuck with me when i was younger do you remember uh
1: I'm sure I've never read it, but I'm sure he must have talked a bit about being a teacher in the New York City school system. Mm. Yeah, one of his students. Really? Yep. Oh, P.S. No. Seventy-five, uh, which is on uh, between Ninety Fifth and Ninety Sixth Street on West End Avenue. That's where I grew up, mm. and I what, he was a substitute teacher, Mister Klein. No way. We had him. Yep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what What was that like?
1: Like, I don't remember. Just, no. but. I do know that if you were a substitute teacher, like in in the New York school system, if if the kids didn't break their teachers, then they loved them, hmm. you know, and we loved our teachers. So when our teachers were sick and a substitute came in, all hell broke loose because there's was like <laughs> thirty five, forty kids, you know, kids from all over the, the west side, some as far north as Harlem. It turns out that my school was pretty progressive. I hmm. didn't know. You know, I was I joined it when I was seven and my friends were South American and black and Puerto Rican and just okay. You know, it was just Mm. growing up in New York. All that's normal. So I didn't realize that even for New York, it was a relatively progressive school. And uh, yeah, he came in as a substitute a couple of times and. I think he said in his book that was what like was the galvanizing moment when he realized he needed to make it music because he couldn't hack <laughs> it and I'm like, yeah, so that kind of means he owes me a little money <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some royalties owed somewhere for a line or two about a uh, something yeah, or other book. no I way so that's so interesting like i I enjoy teaching I've taught a bit in not a strict sense but I've volunteered and taught um youth projects and i've taught hostels doing uh, NVQs and things and i went to do like the formal teaching but i just couldn't wrap my head around the structure of it and things i don't know if that's just you know i'm not very keen for of authority and things like that i don't work well mm. with that type of structure but anyone who can actually be a teacher has my utmost respect especially dealing with Thirty-five, 40 hell raising kids i don't know how subs oh do. yeah no,
1: no i know i have a very dear friend of mine that works in the, the new york city school system and it's with particularly challenged kids mm. you know it's kids who've got you know maybe a parent at home that's a drug addict or you know they've been through homelessness or whatever so you've got all that added on top of trying to teach them the normal stuff as well you know mm. she's amazing she's been at it for years and just she always manages to connect with them. It's yeah. pretty, pretty stunning.
0: Yeah, it's such a insane task to be taken on. But um, going back to like your music and things, when we were setting up this podcast, an article came out um of an interview with you, and you talked about after you know thirty five years as a musician, you thought about quitting once. Which for me, as a musician, I'm like, how could you know Danny Vaughan ever? Think about walking away from this, but then as a musician, I was like, "How can you only really think about walking away from this once?" Especially with all the <laughs> trials and tribulations that come with it.
1: Yeah, definitely thought about it more than once. That's for <laughs> sure. Um, the once was basically, you know, Tiqueto. Yeah, everybody always. This this is the question: is if, if I had a if I had a dime for every time I was asked the question, why wasn't Tiqueto a bigger band? Mm. They should have been a bigger band. It was just bad timing for us, you know? Mm. Um, And so when you put that much heart and soul into something, which we all did
3: Mm.
1: from really 87 or 88, when we really started getting together and talking about forming a band and Michael and I really bonded and started writing um, all the way through, I think I left right at the beginning of 96 um, you know, when you're riding that ride and it's going up and you've got, you're surrounded by people telling you that you're the next big thing and blah, blah, Mm. blah. And then it doesn't happen. Mm. Um, There's obviously there's a certain blow to your ego, but Mm. it's much more than that. And when it got down to, we started touring, we toured so hard and we, we funded everything ourselves we were paying for our own videos um, so the band all lived in a band house together
2: mm-hmm. and
1: just did band expenses which included food you know any money we made went towards mm-hmm. our continuing to exist um you know there were no you know, there were there were no uh, luxuries you know one, one guy didn't have a vet and another guy had a Porsche none of that um, and when it got down to this this you know, beautiful child that we created, that we love so much. And you know, we started going to places and there were 50 people in the, in the audience, mm. 30 people in the audience. You know It was just, it was done. Uh, coupled that with other things that were going on in my life personally that made it harder and harder for me to go away from home at all. Mm. You know, and we were touring hard. We were doing you know, three months away at a time. And I looked at some of our old tour schedules. It just blew my mind. I was Like five days on, one day off, six days on. You know, <laughs> mm. I don't know how I got through it. Um, so I left, like I said, right about the beginning of 96. And I really didn't do anything again until 2000. So it was about four years. Mm. But I never stopped writing music. I never stopped playing. Um, the difference was is that I no longer had an agenda. And I no longer had a target audience if Mm. you will you know it's like you got to write rock songs i could just write what i wanted to write and a lot of good stuff came out of that and ended up being eventually on my first solo album Mm. and still some of those songs from that period are still surfacing you know because some of them are on myths legends and lies as well
0: oh really so with you know because your first song was that traveler
1: no first solo album is called soldiers and sailors on riverside so and thinking. that came out in 2000
0: oh cool and with those type of songs so with myths legends i had some of those songs like 20 years old or no It's that math. yeah so with recording them maybe on this album did it have an extra weight to it remember in that period of time To now yeah mm. oh for
1: sure um and it's not you know the, the thing about myths is that some of the songs the songs that were brought Back From The Past, they were songs, a lot of them were songs that I just, I I all call them my orphans, because I couldn't find an album to home them in, Mm. you know? Uh, There's a song on the album called Seven Bells that I wrote during that time. And I wrote it because I was so blown away by a Sting album uh, called The Soul Cages, um, that particularly, he really kind of explored a bit of his, his past growing up in Newcastle and, mm. you know, all of that. And, you know, so here's a kid from New York City and I want to write a song about the sea and about, you know, sailors <laughs> coming back. What the hell was I on about? I don't know. But I started and, you know, it turned into a seven minute orchestral opus um, that interestingly, um, a lot of the lyrics were finalized years later when a friend took me, uh, I was visiting Liverpool and a friend oh, really? took me to, yeah, I heard your accent. You, you've got to be <laughs> yeah. around from there somewhere. Um, and he took me to the Anglican cathedral oh. and it kind of, some of the lines in the, in the song, I was actually writing right there. Oh, really? You know, oh. Yeah. I was just like, Oh, I know exactly where I want to go with this, you know? Mm. And, um, so yeah, songs like that were written intermittently over over periods of years. You know, it's not like you write it, put it away, and then one day you pick it up and play it. By the time you pick it up again, it's you're another person. Your mm. your musical skills, hopefully, have advanced, and you have other thoughts. Um, there's a song on the album called "The Missouri Kid" mm. that is the first song I ever wrote. So, oh, really? Um, yeah, that song's forty years old. And <laughs> It was only initially to be included for that reason, because I mm. thought it would provide kind of an interesting point, a bit of perspective. But of course, I've rewritten and rewritten it over the years. Um, but the band just was like, wow, where have you been hiding this? You know, the guys who were playing said, we love this song. I was like, really? I, I was putting it on sort of thinking of it as a bit of a, an indulgence. You mm. know, this is, a, this is a bit of an ego moment. I'm going to play him a first song I ever wrote. But the guys were like, this song's wonderful. So, you know, I just, I was so happy with all of that. So yeah, all of those, you know, there's 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 so much push and pull on the Myths, Legends and Lies album as far as where these songs all came from.
0: Mm. Oh, amazing. Just as a side note, the Anglican Cathedral, like I'm on the Wirral, so I'm just over the water from Liverpool. Okay, mm-hmm. And um, that is probably my favorite building in the entire world. Like, um, I've just grown up, and no matter where I've really been, either on the world or in Liverpool, you can always see that building just because it's so huge. And it I've, is the
1: largest cathedral, at least in Britain, if not Europe, isn't
0: it? I think so, because I've been to, you know, I've been to, like, the Vatican and things like that, and I've been to the Coliseum and things, like, in Egypt and stuff, and it's still that structure. I don't know if it's because it's home as well, but yeah, that, that cathedral has just always been mind-blowing. And another level is now that I know you've been in it, making some air. So I've been sat in there writing songs as well. while I've been waiting for friends to finish uni and stuff. So it's, cool. it must just have something in the bricks.
1: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think I was there and there was, there was at least some kind of choir practice going on. So oh. that didn't hurt either. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's amazing. And with obviously the knocks you've taken through Taikato and things and taking a break, do you think that was kind of formulative in being an independent artist and finding your voice to say, I get to do you know if i write a song i'm going to put it on an album because it's a danny Vaughan song do you think that helped you not necessarily conquer a fear, but have that kind of motivation and drive to plant that flag as yourself
1: it did it was actually conquering a fear i think that's quite accurate um you just you make things and you think who's gonna like this anybody mm. you know basically you you tell yourself your own story Mm. you can sit there and say this is going to sell millions this song is brilliant i've written some songs that i know are hit radio songs
3: Mm.
1: they just never happened to be a hit on the radio (laughs) (laughs) Um, so but i know they have all the elements they got all the right things they just didn't get to the right ears Mm. or whatever that may be and then you have other songs where you just sit there and go well in the end, mate, the only thing you can do is is say, this is true to me. Yeah. You know, and it's really the only thing that separates us. Let's, you mm. know, there's 11 notes and that's it. Mm. And I I forget it was who David Bowie said he started training with, who was a, a master musician, a classical musician. And that's exactly what she told him. Mm. Said, there are 11 notes. Now, what can you do with them? Mm. You know, and it's so there's that and from the storytelling aspect your perception of the world is is unique to you
3: mm. so uh,
1: the only that's you know one of those terrible questions i i don't like fielding is what advice would you give for you know young guys starting out in bands like i don't like going there because no. who knows what works nobody knows mm. you know every the, every success story has got an element of you know uh, the first Boston album, everybody passed on it. Nobody got it. How can you not get that album? <laughs> exactly. The first time I heard that album, it changed the world, you know? Um, but apparently not. Queen, same thing. Nobody got mm-hmm. Queen at first. What's going on there? And you couldn't sell Queen today. Not to anybody. No. You know, because they don't fit into a niche. You know, they're they're playing, you know, they're playing uh So they were playing punk at one time, you know, um, and then they're playing Roaring Twenties, blazing on the Sunday afternoon. What's that? You know, how are you going to put that on a rock album? It just, that's one of the reasons why I love the seventies, because that was all, all that music was still possible. Um, And so the only thing that when people ask advice, and so whatever it is, whatever music you make, Make music you believe in. Yeah. Don't, if it's not popular, don't worry about that because that changes from month to month. Um, But whatever it is that you are truly moved by, there are others who are moved by that. So your job is then to, to find them.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really important and interesting thing to say, especially as like independent artists, because you have this mainstream idea or this mainstream establishment that people can and do succeed in, but that is maybe 20-30% of artists, if you know, as a generous estimate. But there's so many musicians who exist outside of that, who make successful, you know, careers. I was just talking to a guy called Beans on Toast, a folk singer Mm -hmm. from Essex, who's a really great guy and he's existed outside of the mainstream and all he does is sing, you know, songs about people getting drunk at festivals two people at festivals getting drunk and he has this niche that he knows he can't really exceed or but he doesn't want to he knows what his niche is and what his abilities are as an artist and as you know uh you know as a business to put it callously and i think a lot of people need to be aware of you know you can hit a demographic in an audience that can sustain you for a long period of time you just need to be aware of who that audience is
1: yeah. And in my case, you know, I've, I've taken my audience on a bit of a journey and mm. going back to the fear factor with with something like that Miss Legends and Lies, there was, you know, the story behind the making of that album is a long one, but it, it took everything we had financially, emotionally, you know, anything that could could challenge it, did challenge mm. it. And there were a couple of times where I turned to my wife and said, what if nobody likes it? You know, we, we put everything into it. We put our savings into it. You know, mm. we've gone through all this. What if nobody likes it? And it's just like, that's that's the point where you just got to put it out there. Get yeah. it out of the wind and see. And, you know, my fans are always kind enough to say, how could you think we wouldn't like something mm. you would do? But of course, you know, of course you could. Of course there could be something. I've, I've written songs over the years that fans are like, eh, not big on that one. You know, <laughs> and, mm. and that's fine. Um, so uh, interesting point. I was on, um, one of these rock cruises one time, actually it was a moody blues cruise. Mm. And one of the performers was Roger Daltrey. And I'm a massive who fan and he did a Q and a, and I managed to get uh, a question. And I said, when you guys were in the studio recording Tommy, when that was going on, were you thinking was there a point where the band looked at each other and went holy shit you know we're doing something that's that's gonna change everything mm. and I'm, and he just laughed and he says for, well first thing he said was yes of course Then he just laughed and he goes absolutely not we didn't have a clue <laughs> that we were just working that's all we mm. were doing and, and you know like pete you follow pete where he goes with with the music and you do your bits but overall yeah clueless that what they were doing would have you know such an immense effect on rock and roll no such thing as a rock opera before it no. you know that sort of things and all that so i i think i think that's a fair assessment for everybody you do your best work and then you put it out there and it doesn't always it doesn't always get heard mm. that's that's the saddest part of it but that's that's when you're in the business of trying to sell music Well, that's popular culture Mm. and so if you're going the popular culture route um then you've got a lot of restrictions right there you know that immediately takes your songwriting it pairs it down to Mm. to what you want to do because there's only going to be a few utterly unique people that also catch on Mm. um tom waits personal hero of mine you know um I've never met anyone, you know, never come across someone's music that affects, it polarizes people as much as his does. Mm. And I think, well, that makes sense. Or maybe Bowie, mm. you know, because I adore Bowie, but I don't listen to everything he did. No. There's some of it I'm just like, okay, I, I really appreciate that you felt the need to walk down this road. I can't go there with you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. But I think that's the healthy thing for a fan but you don't want obviously f- fan comes f- from fanatic and you don't want someone to be like that who's completely unadulterated like i'm obsessed with kiss and i've got ace freely tattooed on my chest but i can admit when one of their albums fucking sucks at least to me right. and it's i think there's a healthy level of awareness but going back because myth legends and legends and lies you pour obviously so much into it and like ple- you had it was through pledge music when pledge music went tits because I remember my dad's name is on the back of that album as part of the supporters because um, really, really yeah because I bought him as a, a birthday present
1: oh fantastic
0: yeah so and um, we backed it and then when it fell through we backed it again through you did it through the crowdfunding thing so you know as a fan I was you know devastated for you I knew some other friends who are musicians who had issues with pledge music when all that went through but that must have been another just an insane blow To especially just yeah
1: yeah. you know i mean i had studio time booked i had musicians booked and you know they're dangling the carrot Mm. of ah we'll send you i know we're supposed to have sent you 10 grand but we'll send you 500 pounds this week and then next week we should be able to say and after like the fourth deadline they missed Mm. i went i got nothing to lose here because they're not sending any money it's just a load of bullshit and that's when i made the video yeah explaining what happened and <laughs> like 26,000 views in like 2 days and even though there were other artists battling them that video seemed to just set something off because suddenly everybody was breathing down pledge's neck
3: mm.
1: and i think the major difference between anything thing i did and what anybody else did was i i just drew the line in the sand i knew it was over and i just said you know They've taken your money. Mm. They've not given it to me. So, so they can steal from you. They can steal from me. They will not steal from Visa and MasterCard. Yeah. That's international credit fraud. Get to your card company right away. Tell them you've not received the service you paid for. And they will, you know, they'll be getting calls from mm-hmm.
0: them. And that worked. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Because I watched that video and I was like, holy fucking God damn it, Sent it to my dad and everything. And then it was literally, I went on to my bank got the money back and then put it straight into the crowdfunding campaign that um, got set up. So it was it was a bit of sweet thing to know because I knew musicians who were directly affected and we were talking about it to them. So I knew to a point what you'd be going through. And it was as a fan and as a musician, it was just a really fucking shitty situation to know the people were in because of one company's greed who looked like they could have changed the game if they'd have not, you know, shit the bed for lack of a better word. Well,
1: it wasn't even like an entire company's greed. Mm, It was a CEO who came in and did the old, I'm going to make everybody a million bucks. We're going to do this. We're going to be the next Spotify. We're going to do this. Spent a shit ton of money on ridiculous offices down in Covent Garden, hired a bunch of six-figure salary guys that they didn't need, Mm. and suddenly had to pay for all that. And they did it by, well, the, the short of the story is that Previous for eight years, that thing ran like clockwork.
3: Mm.
1: You know, the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, you know, unfortunately, American CEOs are just brought up on conquest, pillage, move on to the next thing. Mm. They don't care about making a business. You know, people are not in business to make a living anymore, they're in business to make a killing.
3: Mm.
1: And so it's a, you know, there's no connection to what you're doing.
3: Mm.
1: And uh, so their original um, paying structure was they got a daily statement from PayPal. You think about it. They had like hundreds, maybe thousands of artists, all
4: Mm.
1: money coming in, all that. PayPal would send them a daily statement completely down to the penny, you know, which artist. Okay, Mm. Danny Vaughn today got 150 pounds for this, 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 and this. And they had that from every artist that was on, Mm. on the label. So therefore, because they take 15%, it's like, oh, okay, 15% of 150 pounds, we'll take that. Mm. It worked. They decided to switch, well, this guy switched them to another company that gave them, I think it was a once a week statement every other week Mm. with no formal accounting, just lump sum.
4: Fucking
3: and hell. that
1: allowed them to just take what they wanted and go. Oh well, we, some of this is ours, and it's all this gray area. But we need it for mm. development. And suddenly, the artists weren't getting their money. I mean, there's there's a there's a band in America called Ogre that I, I heard they owe a hundred thousand dollars to. Fucking hell! Yeah, and none of us, none of them, ever got it. Jesus! Yeah. And that guy is now running another music company. He walked away from that
0: unhurt that's disgusting. Yeah, like, it, It's just ridiculous. And like for me, like selfishly, I'm obviously like a small artist. I was planning on going that crowdfunding route for my album. So when that fell through, it was obviously like shit. I'll have to try and find another way to fund it. And I was lucky enough to, I kind of took that approach, but just through Bandcamp and just set up pre-orders and was right. lucky enough that people did it that way. But with, your album Miss Legends and Lies and obviously you had Traveler before then and I think I first saw you opening for Journey in two thousand and seven on the Traveler record. Or maybe around that was just
1: myself and Tony Marshall playing Mm. acoustically.
0: Yeah. And that was a really great thing. And obviously in that article, I think it was Blues Doodles from the other week, you talk about um, you know, that Americana country scene. Have you found much crossover with like these two albums? That you have, you know, your Taekato and Danny Vaughn fan base and you have like country audiences coming across?
1: More. Yeah. Well, Myths, Legends and Lies, I, I was really happy that I was getting attention um from Americana. I mean, we, mm. we the, the album charted in the UK Americana charts. We were number three.
0: Oh, amazing. You know?
1: Yeah, some guy named Springsteen was at the top, but I don't know. <laughs> um so, yeah, I mean, things like that, where it was just getting attention for the music mm. because, you know, there were whole areas of people going, I don't know how many interviews I started over the last six months with. I'm sorry to say I don't know who you were. <laughs> you know, mm. I don't know who you are. I haven't heard of you before. I'm like, no, I love that. <laughs> you know, it's just it's, it's a whole new. And if I can keep heading that way, I actually wouldn't wouldn't mind at all. Mm. Um, and of course, COVID has put paid to several plans that I'd had of getting involved in some of the more Americana, potentially even country or folk festivals. Mm. And, you know, obviously not coming in for big bucks or anything, but just coming in like one man and a guitar. I say, look, let me let me play some songs mm. and, and see what you think and just let the music do its work.
0: Yeah, I think that I think you'd obviously shine on that because I remember you played the Download Acoustic Stage in 2010. And after this, I'll yeah. send you the I'll send you the picture. I was in the front row for that. Are you really? Yeah, and I remember because
1: now I've done that twice, so I'm trying to remember. Was 2010 the one where uh, did PJ come out
0: and play with me on that one, or was that yeah, the earlier? one? I think PJ came out. with It was while it was still the Jägermeister stage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I remember you did last in line, and you did like. Okay, north, that was the first north. one. Yeah. Yeah, I remember just yeah. absolutely being blown away by that, and you know. From just knowing that experience and seeing you live, you know, a fair few times, I'm like, I think you'll go down such a treat in those type of Americana and country festivals because there's a lot of, not necessarily poses or, you know, there's people trying to tick boxes. Well, I think, again, it's what we were saying before. It's just purely authentic what you do. And I think it's going to really resonate with people. So I think going down that route is why, you know, a lot of people will be crossing over to find yourself.
1: I'm hoping. Yeah. I mean, you know, if we ever actually get a business back, you know, mm, but true. yeah, because, you know, Dan Reed introduced me to the whole concept of doing house concerts,
3: mm.
1: you know, which I really enjoy. I'd say I, I enjoy nine out of 10 of them. There's always <laughs> one where you're just like, oh, boy. But, uh, you know, again, it's it's a very, very intimate one on one connection with sometimes 30 people, mm. you know, and but they are there, you know, it's, it's not 30 people that are standing in corners and over by the bookshelves and all that. They're sitting there staring you down. Like, okay, I've got some stories to tell you here. They are, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that, that kind of showed me that, that I think again, uh, that's naturally where I am, Mm. you know, I'm a rock singer, but I'm that too. And Mm. I think I, because acoustic guitar has always been my instrument, Mm. You know, got lots of electric guitars, but I'm not what I would call an electric guitarist, mm. you know, yeah, more of a rhythm guy. But acoustic guitar. Yeah, uh, I think it's the instrument that just comes most natural to my hands. Um, so that's always been there. You know, mm. you, so my methodology through Taiketo and a lot of my, uh, you know, some of the project albums and things I've done over the years is I'll write something. And it'll almost always be an acoustic song to mm. begin with um you know something like uh i think it's something like sail away from the first taiketo album Mm. it's in the tuning but it's just an acoustic thing and i love um these kind of open ringy chords so if you're playing e up here right Mm. i don't know how many songs i've written using this technique by the way (laughs) so you slide that same form around and i learned you know you learn this from jimmy page because he Mm. was doing forever so that's a b but you've got the high ringing oh that
3: works
1: (laughs) oh that works so this is always there you've got the Mm -hmm. open b and e string so you know sail away was that's what i wrote you know Mm. and the the way collaboration works if you've got it right is you go okay brook st james you know guitarist (laughs) of the future rock that thing you know (laughs) Mm. and and it's funny because a lot of times you hit a wall a lot of rock guys don't know what to do with that Mm. you know luckily taiketo's secret weapon was always michael arbini
3: Mm.
1: because he would get it even though he couldn't write a guitar riff he go oh no no no, i hear it it's going to be a stomp like it needs to go boom Dom, dom, um, like, okay now it's starting to sound like rock and roll and then yeah, I, I remember with sail away it might have been a week or so and it was so typical Brooke, because he, he came he came in one day he's like guys i got this thing for that you know dan that acoustic thing you showed me he goes i got an idea but it's too heavy it's not gonna work he just that was his way of selling <laughs> something like you're not gonna <laughs> lie it is too heavy. and he played that riff we were all like touchdown <laughs> you know, this song is going mm. and that that's how the, that stuff happens but for me most of my stuff will almost always start sounding country
0: mm. that's you know? so interesting I know I've seen a lot of bands that are either metal or rock and they switch to acoustic and they still try and play an acoustic like it's an electric guitar and I think that's yeah. one of the initial stumbling blocks. So, that for me to like, obviously, he's that makes so much sense for where the sound of Taikato and your solo stuff comes from. But with like Dan Reed, how did that collaboration and tour come around? Because you were meant to be doing one in March of this year, because you did a solo tour yeah. in July last year, which I unfortunately missed because I was on tour and I missed you by one day, which I was gutted about. Uh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then you have these like collaborations with dan reed does that make it interesting live does the stories change and the dynamic change during those tours
1: oh absolutely um i learned so much from him he uh he's a storyteller to me on another level and mm. we 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 write utterly differently from one another and mm. for some reason it works um you know, and again he's drawing from his life experiences mm. so I always laugh at when, you know, we've done three tours together so far. And, and part of the show is our conversations, you mm. know, because without, I don't want to sound egotistical, but we're fairly interesting people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm growing up in New York City and I've traveled all over Europe and, you know, I had these, these crazy 60s parents. My father's a painter, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'll tell my little story of, of where, you know, I was here and this happened, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Dan will come in with well i this next song is I wrote after spending um three months in silent meditation in the hills of India, <laughs> Oh, fuck you, Dan, you know <laughs> Mr one Upsmanship, yeah, you, know? you can't beat his stories, you know, and then he'll go with you know there was that time when the Dan Reed Network opened for the Rolling Stones, You're like, oh, come on, you know, <laughs> so um, we have a great time mm. and uh, it's, I think it's a learning process for both of us it, mm. it's, it's something that had the potential to not work
3: mm.
1: uh, We're both lead singers And therefore that's troublesome uh, Lead singers mm. generally are a kind of a bitchy breed um, I've gotten along with most of the ones I know I'm happy mm. to say Because I think it's quite fine for you to be as good, better, whatever than me I don't mm. really care <laughs> you know, mm. I'm 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 reasonably comfortable that I'm good at what I do. Mm. Yeah. Not arrogance. It's just I found something that I'm good at. And it's over 35 years. I've kind of figured it out. Um still figuring it out, really. But um, not all singers are like that. They get mm. very like, you know, don't look at me. Um, you know, the old remember the old Eddie Van Halen stories about turning his back to the yeah. audience. It's that, <laughs> it's that kind of stuff. Um. So with Dan instant openness
3: mm.
1: you know because when i first talked to him about doing this idea of two lead singers touring together playing their songs he took it to the next step and said well let's not just you play one of yours and i play one of mine he goes let's get involved mm. in each other's stuff and so the door was wide open he he was like yeah if i play a song and you hear something join in mm. So some of it's very free form. You don't oh, know, cool. you know. and He's very good at that. Mm. And that has taught me a lot uh, because I'm not. I have to, you know, I do my online concerts. I practice all that stuff. <laughs> it, it's, I got to play wings. Yeah, I've played wings about a bazillion times, <laughs> but I will run through it
3: mm. you
1: know, because my brain is not to be trusted. And, <laughs> you know, it's, as, a, as a guitar player yourself, I, I know, you, you know, you have those moments where, you're changing from one chord to the next that you know is right, but the brain goes, "Are you sure?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I really, throughout this entire lockdown, I've not really played much. I haven't really done many live streams, and I did one the other week, and it was the first time I did a forty-five minute set, like pretty much uninterrupted, and it was in front of like a film crew as well who were recording it, and that was the most nerves I'd been for a show in so long because just my brain was like, "Are you sure that's how it goes?" So I was like yeah. rehearsing and practicing beforehand.
1: I had, I had a great call when I was uh, with a band that had a tremendous guitar player in it named Keith Atak, really, really talented musician. And it just made me feel so much better because I had to play guitar electric as well. And again, that's, I'm not comfortable there. So I really tried very hard. And I just had one of these moments on stage where I just looked down and, and my hand went, what? <laughs> yeah. what do you want? And so I was so embarrassed. I went to Keith and I said, Keith, I said, real quiet. I'm like, after all the years of you playing, I said, do you ever have those moments where you, you look down at the guitar and he cut me off and he went, and it's just a lump of wood. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it just made me feel so much better. I was like, oh, thank God. So yeah, the mind is the enemy, without yeah. doubt.
0: Yeah, 100%. And we're getting past the hour mark. I don't want to take up too much of your time. So to wrap things up, where obviously this lockdown is kind of just ongoing and things, what are the future plans for yourself? And I know, has the tour been rescheduled for next year for you and Dan?
1: Currently, the dates are uh, November and December of this year. Mm. I think that's probably wishful thinking. Mm. You know, there's definitely a lot of discussion going on about that at the moment. Um, Taiketo has got UK shows in March of next year. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that we mm. all figure out how to have live concerts together mm. because if we don't, then that's going to be on the block as well. <laughs> okay. um, so, cool. yeah, it's nobody knows. That, no. That's the hardest thing. You know, I was impressed that you wanted to talk because I'm thinking, We don't have much to talk about, really. (laughs) Nobody has anything going on. Um, But I am doing the online concerts. I'll do another one this Thursday. Um, It's just as much for my benefit as anyone else's, (laughs) you know, to to keep me not just playing, but practicing. You know, if I've got a performance goal, like I said, then I'll I'll work through stuff and, and, you know, make myself try to be on top of these songs rather than just get the, oh, I played it a hundred times. It'll be there when I need it. Mm. I, I'm just, uh, I'm not that good. I have to, <laughs> you know, I have to focus and make sure it's there when I need it. Um, so really doing that. And of course there are occasional uh, offers of, of writing and collaboration, you know, from one home studio to the next. So I think there'll, there'll be some more things coming out of that from, from different people that, mm. that I've been speaking to recently. But other than that, you know, we're all in this massive holding pattern.
0: It is. It's a it's a shame. But this is kind of why I wanted to do the podcast and why you as a fan, you've been at the top of my list to do this podcast. And I was hoping to catch you and Dan on the tour, but I just had to, talk to you. And this has been a really interesting thing for me to just try and like, not just as a musician and as someone who tries to create things to have something to pull out every two weeks, but it's been a really nice way to just connect with people and for for this lockdown this has been a really like sense of like sanity and stability for me which has been awesome to have and i think it's yeah. the same thing with live streams and things
1: absolutely it's it's still you know because i'm when i do it i'm playing my my wife and my dear friend julie bootland is kind of manning their computers and so they're seeing the response to what mm. i'm doing i'm not and that's so that's difficult now i have seen I don't know how this is done, but one of my all-time favorite writers, performers ever in the world is, is John Hyatt, mm. and he, he's doing an online concert where he's selling proper tickets. like You can mm. get loge seats or mezzanine seats or whatever else, but apparently it's set up so that he's going to be able to see each of the audience members on screens oh, really? while he's playing, all of them, like you know, one of those massive little Zoom no things, way. but... On multiple screens so it's really going to be a real-time thing well he'll be able to and I'm thinking man I, I hope that technology becomes more accessible mm. because if we're stuck in this pattern for a while just the need to see someone's reaction to what mm. you're doing is missing that terribly
0: yeah 100. I don't know if you're a fan of Jason Isbell but him and his wife played I think it was the Brooklyn Bowl in Nashville and they had like projectors around the hall of people watching it and it alternated between zoom things so they could still see so but it was such an interesting concept to have
1: yeah well as always when we have major shakeups in in our life situations certain technologies leap forward mm. and that's what's happening here you yeah. know companies that have been saying for decades that there's no way we can have our employees do their work from home yeah. are now having their employees work from mm-hmm. home and, and it'll stay that way you know when, mm. when this is over yeah um people all these people aren't going to go back to the workplace because we don't need the workplace no do we? we don't you know so yeah a lot of these things as always with technology there'll be there'll be some bad sides to it as well yeah. but I, I am looking forward to the idea of doing some of these online concerts anytime in the future where there's direct response mm. that I see in here, you know?
2: Oh, amazing. But
1: the, the downside of that, of course, is also that if each member of the audience is sitting in their homes, then that means that they feel like getting up and having a beer and, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, yelling, yelling at their dog and you're going to get that too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's going to be a, definitely an interesting balancing out thing. But, you know, I'm hoping. I think everyone is just optimistically that we'll be getting to live music soon. But the live streams, it all—it's kind of what you make of it, isn't it?
1: It is. Um, the other thing I think, however, that I see as a good side to this is there was a tremendous amount of complacency going on up till now with live music. Mm. You ask any player, yeah. buddy, and they're just like, the first thing you do when you post tour dates is start fielding the complaints. <laughs> why aren't you playing my town why aren't you playing here oh that's you know well i'm i am playing you know you know i'm not playing the world but i am playing in liverpool oh that's 20 miles away you know and you just think <laughs> wow you know um so that i think that might dissipate a bit hopefully and i think when, when real when you know live performances come back and everybody feels comfortable about it I think they're gonna come back with a vengeance. Mm, and definitely. because people are going to remember that there's an experience to be had there. Mm. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Another reason why we're all a little cagey about everybody filming all the time during the concert, it's not because we care about being filmed. Hey, you know, it's great promotion. But you're not watching the concert.
2: Yeah.
1: You're not listening.
2: Mm. You're paying
1: attention to your screen, or you know, have I got them in focus and I even challenged an audience one night and I said, come on. I said, Do you really go home and watch these? No, you don't. You put them on a hard drive and you never see them again. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some people disagree with me. And that's fair enough. But I just think that where I would never demand people not you, you know, have their phones up and record, I would encourage it a little bit because a good concert is not about the band being good. A good concert is is a circular effect. Yeah you know what we send out what you send back all that we're playing off of you now otherwise what are we doing we're just Mm -hmm. we're just reciting from you know by rote what's that you know Mm -hmm. that that's that can be done that can be done at home um so i think that is is going to be rightfully missed and i'm really hoping that when it comes back people like wow you know i just went and saw this and it was like the best night of my the last month and it mm-hmm. meant so much to me that's what all us music fanatics want from our music you know
0: yeah most definitely and i think it's even you know it's such a value thing because i saw that video you pull up of playing after your show at the merch table because a fan requested a yeah, song and wasn't that
1: something yeah
0: those type i of was life... so glad somebody yeah.
1: filmed that because not not for my ego because i just thought what a tremendous moment that was Mm. because because i saw her and then somebody you know it was at the meet and greet and they introduced her and as soon as she said her name i went oh because i would gotten the email Mm. saying hi my name is is leah and you know my it's lovely email about why she loved this song and you know i was inviting people to to tell me what they'd like to hear on the night and it just i don't know why i didn't write it on my list you know Mm. and it just skipped my mind i was like Oh no, we can't have that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I it you know, when you particularly with these acoustic shows, you know, you're 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 having a relationship with every single mm. person in the room. It's I've I've said this to people for years. Acoustic shows in front of 50 to 100 people are much harder mm. than state rock shows. Definitely. You know that stadium rock shows are, have their own complications, and of course, very daunting to stand up in front of twenty-five thousand people for <laughs> sure. But after the first three or four thousand, it's just colors and shapes. <laughs> you know, fifty people in a room—I've got a hundred pairs of eyes right mm. at that I can't get away from, <laughs> mm. <laughs> and that, I find that much more nerve-wracking.
0: No, it's such a same thing but again it was just one of them really cool videos and that is where you know you don't need to film the entire gig but it's those type of things that you do need to film
1: yeah yeah and i was so glad that you know, later on my friends oh by the way i filmed that it's like oh no way yeah. i was like god i hope i played it decently because <laughs> yeah. that's the other side of it it's like look i filmed you you, you play this i'm like oh i was shit Listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. happens all the time and of course the other side of it is that um you know, you do a lot of those solo gigs, those acoustic gigs, they're two hours long. Mm. And, you know, the next day, people are like, oh, went to see Danny Vaughn, was brilliant. Here's a song from the night. Which song do you think it is?
0: It's Forever Young every time.
1: Like, <laughs> come on, I, I did like 25 songs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And do you have plans for, obviously, you're doing the Snake Oil and Harmony things. You, do you have plans for a solo tour at some point, maybe next year or...
1: Well, like I said, the Snake Oil Tour is, is still actually listed mm. as November, December of this oh. year. Um, we have kind of put the word out to fans because, of course, we know how much people have to prepare mm. and some get hotel rooms and, and all that. And we're like, you know what? With the way things are, it's not a good idea
3: mm. to
1: start locking in hotel rooms or buying flights or whatever. So give us a little more time mm. to see how this plays out. Because obviously... You know, the 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 way the UK government is treating the virus is so was it uh, Jonathan Pye called it he says it's basically a whack-a-mole policy. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's pretty much what's going on. So like, oh hit that. Whoa, what's that over there? You know? <laughs> so it's not it's not coming across too well just now. No. And it may mean that we have to move the dates.
0: Mm. Well, hopefully, you know, because I really want to see you guys live again and stuff, but I can't thank you enough for doing this podcast against obviously, I've been a huge fan of yours for a while and um, yeah thank you so much for doing this podcast I want to let you get on with the rest of your evening obviously you're an hour ahead from us so you know thank you so much for doing all this Danny I really appreciate well,
1: it you know well, before we left I wanted to say you know from what you told me thank you for supporting Myths Legends and Lies the way you did the one other thing that was funny about that is you know when we were talking about writing a mm. song going is anybody going to get it? Mm. The idea of having your money taken from you, and then me going, if you can get it back, you can still send it again. <laughs> you know, mm. and I just thought, who's going to go for that? Everyone's going to go. No, one, once bitten, twice shy. See you later, Vaughn. You know, mm. and that was my main. That was an, another reason why I, I took it the way I did. Is because it, in the end, if pledge if pledge ripped everyone off, no one's going to remember that. They're just going to mm. remember, oh, it was that danny vaughn thing that never happened it's my name that gets yeah. attached to it so yeah. i knew i was going to make an album one way or another and literally we were looking at all right how much have we got in the savings account call in a few favors see what we can do mm. before julie bootland had the wonderful idea of doing the uh, gofundme mm. and we got almost exactly all the money Good. out of that mm. it was stunning you know mm. and that's that gave me a whole new perspective on the audience's involvement. Mm. And, you know, as I say, it's it's
0: become very, very personal for me. So, yeah.
1: you know, thank you for both times. No,
0: no, I think <laughs> that's to do that. Yeah, I think that's one of the most important things, I think, is, you know, there's always this middleman that is trying to take a cut that they don't deserve. So anytime that you can actually do like a direct to artist sale is always the best way to do it. and i think that's where a lot of things are definitely going to, like at least from my opinion that's where things are going to be going a lot more
1: yeah i agree well it, it's just a matter of artists having the confidence to do yeah. it i am right at that level <laughs> we just don't know
3: mm. you know
1: I, I you know i, I my, my thing i tell people are you famous as well look at it this way i said my name is known in probably most major cities around the world but By five people in each city. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of where I'm at. You know, Mm. it's not like if Steve Harris wants to make a solo album, Mm. yeah, there's going to (laughs) be enough people there to do it. You know, with me, it was who knew until Mm. we found out. And now we do know. And so I'm excited about the next one. You know, the the songs are on the whiteboard and, you know, ideas are, are percolating. So, oh, great. With things the way they're going. You know that by the time we get our ourselves out of this situation, I hopefully we'll have you know be prepared to start that whole process again. You mm. know, and uh I would absolutely go right back to Wales and work with all the same guys. They're some of the best musicians mm. I ever worked
0: with. Oh, amazing! Well, I really can't wait. I'm gonna be listening because I wanted to talk to you as well about um the song "Monkeys with Money and Guns," but because I, <laughs> <laughs> I love that track. But um, I definitely. You know, i don't want to take up too much of your time so i definitely want to sequel to this conversation and um, time, yeah be we'll be happy to yeah well thank you so much danny this has been a real treat for my treat for me and i am um, yeah just thank you so much and i hope you enjoy the rest of your evening
1: yeah same to you well thank yeah. you for having me like i said if as you can tell i'm generally not at a loss for words so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know if you want to have another conversation just let me know
0: Oh, well, but thank do, it, you so-
1: do it more by email because I'm really kind of shit at <laughs> keeping up with Instagram, as you found out.
0: No, that's fine. I'll drop you an email. But thank you so much. All right. And give yeah. my best to your dad as well. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, before we go, um, I also run a radio show called Rogue Radio. And we're going to be playing one of your songs on it on one of the next episodes coming up. And um, would I be able to get you to just do a quick liner of my name is Danny Vaughan and you're listening to Rogue Radio?
1: yeah that's it not your name as well
0: no it's uh yeah
1: hey this is danny vaughn from taiketo and you are listening to rogue radio turn it up
0: amazing thank you so much Um, i'll send you across this will be going live i think in october i do these every two weeks so i'll send you across the links if you're up for sharing it and things but this has been a this has been an absolute blast of a conversation danny thank you so much
1: uh, these are the kind of conversations I enjoy. So, you know, let uh, you know, where we're talking writer to writer and mm. player to player. So, um, yeah, do let me know, because I'll make sure that, uh, you know, the, uh, the rabid, rabid fan base is all over it.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And I will definitely be seeing you at Chester or Liverpool at some point soon.
1: Fingers crossed, my friend. Fingers yeah. crossed.
0: And there we have it, guys. That's episode 16 of Into the Van, Into the Bag. And I cannot believe... I got to interview Danny Vaughan. That was so fucking cool and so fucking interesting. And I'm just absolutely made up that that got to happen. I remember when I booked it in, the first thing I did was tell my dad. Because we're huge Danny Vaughan fans, so I knew he'd get a kick out of this. And I really hope you got a kick out of it too. And, you know, it was interesting for you. You learned some things. You know, you immediately stop this podcast and go listen to myths, legends, and lies. Because it is fucking brilliant. So, yeah. Go support Myths, Legends, and Lies. Go support Danny Vaughn, Snake Oil, and Harmony, and all his projects. Go listen to The Next Life. Make sure you subscribe to Into the Van, and I will see you with the next episode, my friends. Peace.